I mentioned that naturalism lays stress on a third term as cause. You remember the three terms if we're talking about a chair? It's idea, chair, wood. So the third term is generally the small parts that go to make up the second term, which is the manifestation of the idea in the natural realm here in the physical phenomenal world. Through naturalism, through its eyes, we tend to see everything as quantity and material arrangement rather than quality, meaning, or idea. The emphasis is on one side, on the external, extended sense-given side of the universe. It corresponds to an attitude that everyone must know and recognize in himself. Does this sound familiar to you? Then you need to know and recognize in yourself that you look at the world and you think that the real is what you can see and touch and feel. This is naturalism. You must be able to see this in yourself. If you can't recognize this in yourself, there's no sense in going any further. You've got to be able to see that you are completely attached to the physical world, that you think the physical world is real. You have ideas that there's another world, but those are simply ideas. What your belief is, what your commitment is to, is to this physical. You know intellectually that, or you know theoretically and intellectually that you're not a physical being living in a physical world governed by physical laws, yet if I chase your body around with a hammer, your body will run away, believing that you are a physical being living in a physical world governed by physical laws, and that hammer is going to cease your being, or at least damage it in some way. So that's where our attachment lies. That's where our view of the world is through this naturalism, because it lays stress on this third term as cause. The world is as we see it, and somehow or other, it is self-derived. This is important also. Somehow, this all happened of itself. Your parents got together and you were born. You ate so much food and you grew. You did whatever you did in your education and you became who you are. All of this, you see, all of this outer stuff. Somehow or other, the atoms comprising it fell into certain arrangements and visible masses of matter as well as living creatures somehow or other appeared. And this is basically evolutionism. This is naturalism. This is the idea that the universe just kind of appeared and there was this big bang and it all just appeared out of nowhere, out of nothing, from nowhere, from nothing, it all just appeared. Now, it's a fantastic idea, but people with brains who can think, supposedly, have thought this up and believe it. They believe that it all just exploded into existence, which is, I've said before, a great deal like an explosion in an alphabet soup factory and the Gettysburg Address appearing on the wall from the noodles. They all just exploded and splattered on the wall and spelled out the Gettysburg Address. As far as I'm concerned, it has the same possibility that all this came from that explosion. Then why not the Gettysburg Address appearing on the wall in the alphabet soup factory? I see no reason why it shouldn't be believed. Although, when I say something like that, you go, well, that's simply absurd. But I don't see it any more or less absurd than the idea that all of this just blew into existence through some explosion, that there was no time, there was no thing before it, that somehow it just, boom, happened. Which is great. If you can believe that, and if that's all you want from your life, well, then you really shouldn't be listening to me. Wait, if that's what you believe, you're not listening to me. So what does naturalism take away from us? It leads, of course, to a somewhat dead view of things. 
In its extreme form, it takes the view that we live in a gigantic and mechanical universe, a meaningless machinery of planets and suns in which man has accidentally appeared as a minute speck of life, negligible and ephemeral. Stressing the third term alone, this view is true enough. If that's the way you look at life and you see the other two terms don't exist, then clearly, or one of the other two terms doesn't exist, then clearly that is true enough. It means that if man is to improve his life, he must only deal with the external, visible world. There is nothing real save what man can reach through his senses. So man should invent and build new machinery and amass as many facts as possible. And as you can see, the world is clicking along in exactly that direction. About the visible world and set about it to conquer nature, which is the main goal of the human race today. This standpoint turns man outwards. It makes him see his field of activities as only outside himself. It makes him think that by discovering some fresh facts about the material universe, he'll be able to assuage his own sorrow and pain. Isn't it, we're just waiting for a cure for cancer? And then after that, we're going to freeze our heads? Cryogenics. And then after the cryogenics, then when we have finally have discovered the secret of life, then we'll thaw the brain out and do something else. It's like, oh boy. Whoever thought there would be bionic arms and legs? But there are. I mean, people did, of course, think that. And now there are. And now we can blow our arms and legs off in Afghanistan and Iraq and however many places in the world we go to set things right. And what do we set right? Well, we blow arms and legs off and kill people and destroy things. And then what do we do? Well, we spend everything we have to try and rebuild it and supposedly make it better. And does it make it better? Not one whit better. Because we remain the same, which, of course, is the problem. But we don't see that if we're only looking at the third term if we're only looking outside. There is today a very remarkable turning outwards of mankind, connected with scientific developments and increasingly diffused expectancy that new discoveries and inventions will solve man's problems. The attitude of scientific materialism, which especially characterized the latter part of the 19th century, has reached the masses. It also has reached the East, where the East was once this place of mystery, where the Tao came from and Zen came from and all of these strange un-Western ideas came from. These mysterious ideas and miraculous things came from. Now it's polluted by the Western world. Now industrialism is there as well. Now they are becoming like us. Mankind now sees the solution of its difficulties lying in something outside itself. And with this attitude, there inevitably goes the belief in mass organizations of peoples and a corresponding loss of the inner sense of existence, the effacement of individual differences and a gradual obliteration of all the rich diversity of custom and local distinction which belongs to normal life. The world becomes smaller and smaller as it becomes more and more uniform. People lose the power of any separate wisdom. In place of it, they imitate each other increasingly. And it is just this that makes possible mass organization. Hand in hand with this goes the linking up of the world by rapid transit and wireless communication so that the entire world abnormally responds to a single local stimulus. Now, with the internet and social networking, 
Now, instantaneously, people all over the world know that Alec Baldwin got mad at a photographer and called him names, and they know that Sterling did something awful. He said that he didn't want a black person to be at his game with his girlfriend, and so that made him a racist, and now his franchise is being taken away from him, and he's being fined, and so on and so forth. All of this nonsense comes from this whole thing that we think that somehow our problems are all outside of ourselves and all we have to do is fix them through law and order and discoveries and then it'll all be fine. We've been doing this now for hundreds of years and not only is it not fine, it is worse by the day. The injustice mounts up, the insanity mounts up, the organization continue to grow. Big government gets so big that it's not even big anymore. It is now all there is, and it's gobbling up everything. Over 50% of the people in the United States work for the government. The government employs over half of the people in our country. Something is out of whack. But we don't know that. We keep thinking, well, if we throw more money at it, we make more discoveries, then it'll all be fixed. We just need to pass more laws, then it'll all be fixed because people, they'll be so straightened, they'll be so corseted, they'll be so boxed in, they won't be able to move. We'll just control everything that they think, say, and do, and then we'll make it perfect. The only problem is, is that there is no higher idea or ideal to structure all of these laws and all this perfection. It is just the best that we can think of right now. And that's just not good enough. Because the best that we could think of right now during the Second World War was the atomic bomb. The best that we could do was incinerate a couple hundred thousand people. That was the best that we could come up with. Do you know what? We're not far from that today. That was 60 years ago. So we're in trouble. But the fact is, as long as we believe that a bigger organization is going to get this thing fixed, we're going to stay in trouble and the trouble is going to deepen. And above all this hovers the strange chimera that needs to shimmer in the imagination of all humanity today. The fantasy that science will discover some secret, some solution that will rid the earth of its brutality and injustice and restore the golden age. And as I told you, the religion of the state is science. The high priests of that religion are the scientists. And they're the ones who we put it all on to restore the golden age. This idea that we can discover final solutions to the difficulties of life and that mankind as a whole can reach truth at some future date ignores the fact that every person born into the world is a new starting point. Every person must discover for himself all that has been discovered before. Every person must find truth for himself. There is no way to do it any other way. You cannot educate people into the truth. You can tell them about it. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. He has to discover it for himself. Apart from this, what can we see today as the result of man's belief that he can organize life merely by scientific knowledge? From the practical side, we only see that man's inventions increasingly take charge of him. We see machines becoming disproportionate to human life. <laughs> we see, okay, look at, look at how many people get run over in a day because they're texting on their phone or they're listening to music and they're walking out in traffic or in front of a train or a bus or, or whatever. Look at how often this happens. Or people texting while they drive and they kill somebody or get into an accident and injure someone. So, actually, the machinery has taken charge of us. We haven't taken charge of it. Now, we're going to have cars that drive themselves. And then there'll be no accidents. 
then it'll all be fixed. Except there'll be human error somewhere in there, and the machines will take charge of us. It is surely obvious that the development of machinery is not the development of man, and it is equally obvious that machinery is enslaving man and gradually removing from him his possibilities of normal life and normal effort and the normal use of his functions. Look at us. We are fat. Why? Because we've lost our normal life, our normal means of conveyance. How did we used to get from here to there? Well, back in the old days, people walked. Walked? Yes. Well, how did they do that? They had legs. What? They had legs? Yes, they had legs. Well, where were their wheels? Well, they hadn't invented them yet, and they hadn't made them into carriages and cars and buses and so on and so forth. Well, how did they fly? You see, all of that, really, no, they actually walked on things that they called legs. And at the end of those legs were feet, and at the end of those feet were toes. What nonsense is that? That sounds like some primitive form of reverse science fiction. Yes, and this is where we're going. <laughs> I know it sounds funny, but it's really not. If machinery were used on a scale proportionate to man's needs, it would be a blessing. But let's just put it simply like this. Go to any parking lot, any place. And where are you going to park? You're going to park as close to that door as you can get. Why? So that you don't have to walk any further than you have to walk. So that you don't have to make any more effort than you have to make. And when there's a machine or some kind of way for you to get from where you leave your car to where you're going in the store or in the mall or wherever it is, you're going to take that. How many people take the stairs instead of an elevator these days? I rest my case. You can't find a parking place close to the door of the store or wherever you're going because everyone else who got there first has taken it. And you're put out to have to park, oh my God, all the way out there in the back 40 and have to walk 200 yards. And we wonder why we're the fattest, sickest nation in the world. Well, that's part of the reason. If people could only understand that the latest discovery is not necessarily the best thing for humanity and become skeptical of the word progress. They might insist on bringing about a better balance. What we fail to grasp is that the pressure of outer life is not necessarily lessened by new discoveries. They only complicate our lives still further. Yes, you have definitions at your fingertips with electronics now. But you don't use that. That's not what you use it for, or rarely. What you use it for mainly is texting stupidity to other people who have lost their ability to think for themselves. And I'm saying, yes, you've lost your ability to think for yourself. No, you haven't lost it. You've surrendered it. You've abdicated it. To what? To the Internet, to machines, to the new digital world, to the information highway. It's not an information highway. It's a pornography highway. Who are you kidding? It's a nonsense highway. We do not only live by bread, but by word. It is not only new facts and facilities that we need, but ideas and the stimulation of new meanings. Man is his understanding, not his possession of facts or his heap of inventions and facilities. Only through his own hard-won understanding does he find his center in himself, whereby he can withstand the pressure of outer things. Yet, it is obvious that nothing can check the general momentum of events today. You're not going to stop this. And the people who want to stop it, the troglodytes, that's nonsense. That's just not going to happen. You're not going to do it. It's going to go forward. 
There is no discernible force in Western civilization strong enough to withstand it, and the modern world has yet to learn that the standpoint of naturalism is inimical to man in the long run. To lay stress only on the third term, on the visible and tangible, seems logical enough. But man is more than a logical machine. No one can understand either himself or another person merely through the exercise of logic. We can indeed understand very little through logic. But the tyranny of this faculty can become so great that it can destroy much of the emotional and instinctive life of man. Now, this was written probably in the early 50s, probably in 1950. It was first published in 1952. Give you an idea of what he was looking at then. He was like an H.G. Wells, only he could see where we were going. Let me just share with you something from the news. Raises all around? Federal agency scraps employee rating system. America's new consumer watchdog agency has come up with a unique solution for its troubled employee rating system. Give almost everyone a gold star. Now, this was just a matter of time because we know we've been doing this in schools, grading on the curve, they call it, so that everyone can feel superior or at least equal. So there is no inferiority. So there's no scale. There's no higher or lower. There's no smarter or dumber. There's no more or less ignorant. There is just all one big oatmealish, soupy thing called people. The Independent Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, created under the 2010 Dodd-Frank Financial Industry Overhaul to serve as a consumer watchdog, says it's scrapping its system of employee ratings in response to concerns that it was discriminatory. That rating system assigned workers a score of between 1 and 5. Due to concerns with the system, everyone who scored a 3 or above, regardless of performance, will now be getting the top rating of 5, along with the corresponding retroactive pay raises that the top rating brings. Those raises will likely cost more than $5 million, of course, according to the American Banker, which first reported on the ratings troubles in a March 6th article. Going forward, the Bureau is looking at using a new two-tiered rating system for at least two years while officials evaluate the old system. But the retroactive payments raise the possibility that workers who slacked off could be rewarded the same as top performers. Now, of course, you realize that this is what absolutely destroyed the countries that became communist. It just totally annihilated them. They became slackers. Why work? I'm going to get the same thing whether I work or not. To give an across-the-board raise slaps the face of the people who deserve it, said Linda Swindling, author of Stop Complainers and Energy Drainers, How to Negotiate Work Drama to Get More Done. The changes come after American Banker found that minority employees were likely to receive lower evaluations than their white counterparts. A 2013 internal agency report found 74.6% of white employees received ratings of 4 or 5, compared with 65.2% of Hispanics and 57.6% of black employees. Now, what we're going to do when someone finally realizes that if you take the minorities, that is, we'll just say the blacks and the Hispanics, because that's what they're saying, just the blacks and the Hispanics, you leave out the Asians, just the blacks and Hispanics, then you take how many blacks and Hispanics are in the country and how many whites are in the country. Already, the whites are the minority. But we're not looking at it that way because that's not politically correct. 
In a May 19 email sent to staff members and made available to some news agencies, CFPB Director Richard Cordray said the agency conducted a thorough audit of how employees were given raises. He said broad-based disparities in the way employees were rated in 2012 and 2013 had been uncovered in several areas, including race, ethnicity, age, bargaining unit membership eligibility, location in the field or at headquarters, and tenure as a CFPB employee. These differences indicate a systematic disadvantage to various categories of employees that persisted across divisions, offices, and other employee characteristics, Cordray wrote. The changes are being billed as a way to correct the wrongs of 2012 and 2013. Every rank-and-file CFPB worker who received a three- or four-summary performance rating in 2012 or 2013 under the previous program will be given raises as if they had received the highest rating at the time of evaluation. Senior management is excluded from the process. But others aren't buying it. I'm one of those others who are not buying it. Swindling recommended the agency work to let employees know that managers are working toward changing the office culture and rating system, not pay off employees who may or may not have deserved a merit raise. Bankstocks.com columnist Thomas Brown called it a pathetic bow to political correctness. Hardworking, conscientious workers, and yes, the federal government does have those, deserve to be treated better and paid more than workers who say persistently show up late and turn in shoddy work, Brown said. Cordray said the agency recognizes the change does not address the underlying system itself. Of course not. Who's trying to change the system? All we're trying to do is smooth out the surface so that it all looks right on the outside. We're not willing to fix anything. We just want to make it look good, which, of course, is the third term view, naturalism. It's only what it looks like. It's only the outside that matters. Who cares what's in the book? as long as the cover is good-looking. People will buy the book and put it on their shelf because it's a good-looking cover. They never intended to read it anyway. Who said they could read? The CFPB was created as a new-era regulator responsible for keeping consumers safe rather than nursing big banks back to health. The sign outside its Washington office even looked edgier than the typical D.C. office with the name CFPB. PB in lowercase letters on a bright green background. The Bureau was championed early on by Harvard University professor Elizabeth Warren before she was elected to the U.S. Senate. So what can I say? This is the world we're living in today. This is the way that we're looking at things. This is where we are. It's not going to stop. This movement cannot be stopped. What you have to find, is there anything inside of you that can stand and not be run over by it? Is there anything inside of you that can stand and not be influenced by it? Contrasted with naturalism is the older standpoint, which puts man in a created universe, part visible and part invisible, part in time and part outside time. The universe as we see it is only one aspect of total reality. Man is a creature of sense, knows only appearances, and only studies appearances. The universe is not only sensory experience, but inner experience as well. That is, there is inner truth as well as outer truth. The universe is both visible and invisible. On the visible side, the third term, stands the world of facts. On the invisible side, the first term, stands the world of ideas. Man himself stands between the visible and invisible sides of the universe, related to one through his senses and the other through his inner nature. And as I've said before, the soul is pivotal in its action. It can look out through the senses or it can look inward to something else, to that invisible world. 
to his inner world. At a certain point, the external, visible side of the universe leaves off, as it were, and passes into man as internal experience. So there's an explosion outside. Boom. That's the outer thing. But at some point, it passes into you, and you have some kind of response or reaction to that explosion. What was that? Or, oh, it must be fireworks. Or, oh, my God, somebody just blew up the bank or whatever. So it passes into man as internal experience. In other words, man is a certain ratio between visible and invisible. Because of this, the outer scene does not complete him, and no outer improvement of the conditions of life will ever really satisfy him. Stop the explosions, and that will not stop you from being a paranoid schizophrenic. You'll just find some new thing to attach your paranoia to. Man has inner necessities. His emotional life is not satisfied by outer things. His organization is not only to be explained in terms of adaptation to outer life. He needs ideas to give meaning to his existence. And one of the things that you have to see, well, you don't have to see, but one of the things that you have an opportunity to see right now is there is no meaning without an originator, a creator to give meaning. If there is no creator to give meaning to this whole universe, it's up to you to give meaning to it. And since you didn't create it, since you didn't bring it about, what kind of meaning are you going to give to it? It's only going to be some selfish meaning, some self-meaning. How good can that be? How high can that be? How far can that go? It can only go as far as you can go. And let's face it, we have not gone very far. 10,000 years ago, we were killing each other. Today, we're killing each other better. What does that mean? We have more efficient killing machines. That's what it means. We don't have to do it the messy old way with swords. But when you take all of the machinery away, how do we do it? With messy old things like machetes and knives and rocks and sticks and swords and pointed sticks. And what is the proof of that? Rwanda, where people hacked each other to death with machetes because they just didn't have enough bullets to kill as many people as, as needed killing. So this is how far we've come internally. But in an outer way, we're so wonderful. There is that in him that can grow and develop some further state of himself, not lying in tomorrow, but above him. There is a kind of knowledge that can change him, a knowledge of quite a different kind, quite a different quality from that which concerns itself with facts relating to the phenomenal world, a knowledge that changes his attitudes and understanding, that can work on him internally and bring the discordant elements of his nature into harmony. There are people who will not go to war. There are people who will not kill other people. And especially will not do it for political reasons or because they're told to. There are people who were not Nazis during the Second World War and who would not go and slaughter people in concentration camps because they were told to by whoever was over them. They had something called a conscience. There was something inside of them that they had developed that could withstand the pressure of the outer world and the political correctness of the outer world. And make no mistake, the Nazis were all operating on political correctness. We didn't call it that then, but it is exactly the same thing, and that's exactly where it will lead today, the same place it has always led. Unless there is something in man that can stand against that outer pressure, he will yield to it. And when he yields to it, it will be the same disaster and holocaust that it was 60 years ago or 1,000 years ago or 10,000 years ago. The only thing we learn from history is that we learn nothing from history, Frederick Hegel said, and he was right. In many of the ancient philosophies, this is taken as man's chief task, his real task. Through inner growth, man finds the real solution of his difficulties. It's necessary to understand that the direction of this growth is not outwards in business, in science, or in external activities, but inwards in the direction of knowledge of himself. 
through which there comes a change of consciousness. As long as man is turned only outwards, as long as his beliefs turn him towards sense as the sole criteria of the real, as long as he believes only in appearances, he can't change himself. He cannot grow in this internal sense. Through the standpoint of naturalism, he cuts himself off from all possibilities of interchange. He must relate himself to the world of ideas before he can begin to grow. That is, he must feel that there is more in the universe than is apparent to the senses. He must feel that other meanings are possible, other interpretations, for only in this way can his mind become open. There must have come to him the feeling of something else. He must have wondered what he is, what life can possibly mean, what his existence means. Certain kinds of questioning must have occurred in his soul. Is the meaning of existence more than it appears to be? Do I live in something greater than what my senses reveal? Are all my problems merely outer problems? Is knowledge about the external world the only possible knowledge? This is where we can begin. This is the only place that we can begin to do anything to better ourselves. All of the things that we have done outside, the better hospitals, the better machinery, the better this, the better food, the better, 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 can only take us so far, and it has taken us there. We're as good as we're going to get with that. We have to come to something else. If we don't come to something else, I guarantee you we must perish under the weight of our own inventions. We will become less and less as it becomes more and more. This is not science fiction anymore. This is not the Terminator. This is not the machines take over and subdue mankind. This is not the Matrix. This is what's happening now. People are out of control. We see it in tiny ways. We see the little fractures here and there. But the plates are shifting underneath the little fractures outside on the surface. And sooner or later, the big one's going to happen. The earth is going to quake and shake. And things are going to come tumbling down. It's just a matter of time. And people have been saying this for thousands of years. But never in the written history of our race have we been to the point where we can actually do it now. Where we have enough stocked up nuclear weapons to burn the entire planet to a cinder and destroy all life on the planet. We're in a unique position. And so we either continue in this meaningless, giving everything meaning as we see fit, or we understand that we are created in a created universe and that the meaning of the creator is different from our meaning and that we must somehow come to know it inside of ourselves and obey it inside of ourselves and then make the outside of ourselves harmonize and comply with the inside of ourselves, with the inner truth. That's what this is about. That's what transformation is. That's what enlightenment is, bringing light inside. You could call it I-N-lightenment, enlightenment, bringing light inside to our inner darkness. In fact, I think that might be better to call it that. This is what living time is about. This is what our own invisibility is about, how we are invisible to ourselves, because we are not seeing this, and we need to see it if we are to be transformed into what we were meant to be, into what meaning came along with us when we were made. Just 